Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'll kick 360's training camp update. We go live to the Titans practice facility where Ryan Tannehill and Julio Jones, uh, you're about to see. Uh, working a bit, and this is uh, A.J. Brown, excuse me, not Julio Jones. This is A.J. Brown. Uh, no sign of Julio uh, in, in regards to this. Um, someone did tweet out that this was Julio, and, of course, Julio, anyway, nonetheless. Was that, was that Paul Koharski that tweeted that out? That's, no, it else? was not Paul. It was not okay. Paul. Uh, PK, though, uh, has tweeted out a lot of accurate reporting and information live from Titans training camp, and he joins us each and every day. Uh, Paul, hope you're doing well. Force to the porch here. I wanted to be out in the sun, but uh, Terry Porch, who runs the grounds crew and is driving that mower behind me, uh, shooed me up onto this porch, and it's his lawn. So I was told to get off his lawn. (laughs) <laughs> old man get off my lawn clint eastwood now mowing the the lawn the the field for the titans it's perfect so there are others right now doing stand-ups on the lawn but i guess he knows they're not going to be doing it for an hour okay well you know what we're live from titans training camp and uh our show goes to one uh paul your uh your thoughts on julio jones not being out there today we we mentioned yesterday that he left early it's being described as rest do you take anything into the fact that he wasn't out there? No. I mean, I think yesterday when he tweaked, whatever he tweaked, um, I would have said it, it would be a long shot for him to be out uh, out here today. Uh, yesterday was the first team work he did, so he might have been scheduled for a day off today anyway uh, had he not tweaked it. Obviously, we got to monitor it. We didn't have Mike Vrabel today because we had Shane Bowen. Um, the Titans are, are – trying to juggle and facilitate as many people in as little time as possible for us. So that works out well in a lot of ways, but it doesn't work out well in terms of being able to ask Mike Vrabel on a day like today, uh, what's up with Julio Jones, um, which wouldn't have been a media answer anyway. So, you know, we're going to monitor him day by day. You know, uh, if we see him, uh, you know, even walking around a little bit mm-hmm. tomorrow, that'll be a good sign. The longer he's inside and unseen, the more you have to fear that the, the tweak was something more than something more than very little. But uh, for right now, um, I, I'm still not going to read too much into it. More opportunity for Marcus Johnson, for Chester Rogers, who I think are the two guys who've done the most to elevate themselves. I'd have more concern really about Josh Reynolds, who we haven't seen since he dropped out, I think, midway on Thursday. And uh, you asked me about him last week, and I didn't have a lot to say since then, you know, reviewing some tape that I had on my phone. Um, you know, there was one rep where he was coming right at me in, in one of those uh, end zone one-on-ones where he didn't come off the line very explosively, came right at me in the corner, uh, did not complete a catch, and looked like a guy that just didn't have everything. Now, I don't know if he injured something or if he's just – carrying whatever he had during the offseason. But uh, I'd be a little bit, bit concerned about Josh Reynolds right now, though obviously they felt like he had a good enough bill of health 
to enter training camp without being on, uh, you know, NFI or PUP. We've seen a rash of injuries uh, with the Colts. So I say rash, but two big-time players with the Colts Don't be uh, rash. with injuries. And um, But, Paul, I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I think this is really bad. Uh, you've got Julio Jones injured a lot a year ago. I don't think it's a coincidence that he leaves the field yesterday tweaking something, and then he's not out there today. Again, this is early August. What matters is that Julio Jones is available that's in right. September. But when I start seeing receiver that's played a number of years tweaking something early in training camp, I, I don't know how often that becomes nothing throughout the season and not something that could re-aggravate itself at any point. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but w- what do you think about moving forward? Is this, is this going to be the question every single day with Julio Jones? I, I mean, it's too early to say. I, I think I counted yesterday. It's 41 or 43 days uh, until the opener. That's an awful long time. So, uh, again, I, I think this work with Ryan Tannehill, you know, the, the 10 minutes that he and A.J. Brown are doing is probably the most valuable stuff of what he's doing. It's uh, no contact, no defender. Um, you know, they're not worried about stuff like that. They're, they're worried about the timing and the rhythm and the relationship with the quarterback more than anything else. Uh, you know, Derrick Henry is the wrong example because he's not a guy with any kind of injury history. But today was the first day in pads, and I thought, you know, even not symbolically, more than symbolically, but, you know, for, you know the first play of the first pat the team period is going to be a run. And they handed the ball to, to Darrington Evans today, and – Derrick Henry wasn't in team period again and hasn't been. Taylor Lewan hasn't been in a team period. And I think, uh, you know, they're thinking all along is September 12th, September 12th. Uh, I don't think it's any different with, uh, with Julio Jones. And if he suffered a tweak here, I mean, it would be hard based on what we've seen. And a lot of us talked, you know, we saw it from all different angles and anything. Is it possible it was something significant? Yes. You know, uh, 19 out of 20 times when we see a guy do that, is it significant? No. So we just have to wait for more information, and that information is probably not going to come out of the mouth of Mike Grable. It's going to be in the formula when we see uh, when we see Julio Jones out here again. And like like you're saying, Chad, every day that he's not out here will lead us to more speculation that it's something bigger than we thought. Paul, I know you you spoke with uh, Shane Bowen, as the media did today. Um, give us some of the big takeaways there from what Bowen had to say, including the one big area where he's already noticed a big difference in this def- defensive unit compared to last year's group. Well, he's liking uh, walking around, you know, and uh, and being able he, – he thinks it's important that guys see him seeing them, you know, during an individual period as opposed to only in the meeting room and reviewing film last year when he was coaching the outside linebackers in addition to the defensive coordinator job without the title. So I I think that's uh, a significant element to this. He said he could go from the meetings, you know, and hear um, the defensive backs talk about uh, their approach or their vision of one thing and then go into the linebacker meeting, hear the same thing came up and say, hey, next door, here's how the uh, cornerbacks are – doing the exact same thing um and so there's a certain smoothness to that kind of stuff that he wasn't necessarily able to have last year while he was coaching the outside linebackers so that's part of it um 
you know, communication. I don't have that quote in front of me. You might have it on your phone. I, I thought this was the biggest thing he said. I can actually have it on my phone here. I thought okay. this was the biggest thing that he said. Uh, if we are 100% before the ball is snapped, then they've got to beat us. Too many times last year, we weren't ready to go. And that's somewhat self-indicting, right? And we heard time and time again about how they were how they weren't coordinated and how they weren't um, weren't communicating well enough, weren't ready to go. Um, so I, I appreciate the, the candor there, and I think that's a good defensive mindset. You know, that's what you hear most good defenses say. If we're ready, if we're on our game, they've got to beat us. This isn't necessarily true in today's league, right? The offense generally is holding the cards. But you want a defense to, to think like that, and I don't think this defense was thinking like that at all last year. And then he said, you know, you take last year's things and we're no longer talking about last year's failures on third down. We're talking about this year's emphasis, this year's emphasis, third down, red zone, the things we're emphasizing now. We're not talking about emphasizing them because of our failures in those departments last year. We're just talking about them being emphasis points of emphasis now and things that we have to do well now. Paul, today was day one of pads, but uh, I'm sure Vrabel eased into day one of pads. What stood out to you in a practice that can be a bit more physical, albeit if they're eased in or not, because of the full pad aspect? Well, it was another defensive day. That defense, uh, you know, gradually has kind of taken this thing over, uh, and I think it's less and less because the offense is, uh, is not making the moves. I know Lance Lee is getting very jealous looking at that uh, that mower behind me. He wants that very badly for his house. Um, defense is playing pretty well. I, I think Jackrabbit Jenkins kind of coming alive the last couple of days has been a big part of that. Jeffrey Simmons is really uh, making some plays running to the ball. He chased Ryan Tannehill to the sideline today on one play that he then threw complete. It was either Des Fitzpatrick or Cameron Batson who caught the ball running hard out of the end zone, and we couldn't decide if he got his feet in or not. It would have been a spectacular play if he did. I thought probably not in real speed, real time. It could be wrong, Um, but it's a really athletic, aggressive play. Monty Rice is somebody that Vrabel mentioned, you know, needing to get the pads on, and he's a guy that did some, some thudding today um and i think i called him aj but i'm pretty sure it's bj bello um had the hit of the day on darrington evans uh darrington evans caught a ball in the flat and it was kind of one of those moments where you turn and get popped um bello you know put a good shoulder into him uh sent him backwards but it was a play where um a sack would have been made you know if they were calling it technically somebody had broken through on the blitz and gotten gotten to uh i think logan woodside as he let the ball go but you know there's a different sound to a training camp practice with pads on where you hear some some clattering um and i think guys uh to a degree i asked evans rashawn evans this certainly the case for me still make the mistake of anticipating the first day of pads you know uh i wasn't expecting goal line period but i was expecting some one-on-one stuff no you know just like the, the first day of camp is an acclimatization period and it takes a couple of days. First day of pads is an acclimatization period and it's going to be a couple of days. So they didn't break out the, uh, the traditional uh, receivers and cornerbacks going one-on-one over here and uh, offensive and defensive linemen going one-on-one over there, which is always a highlight. 
I imagine they'll build up to that and maybe we'll see it um, in the next couple of days. Hopefully it's always a highlight. Paul, you mentioned that yesterday there was a renewed energy uh, with the entire team at practice. Was there anyone that stuck out to you that maybe wasn't quite as energized in practice, but now that the pads went on, you saw a different pep in their step in today's practice? Um, I, I don't know, Chad, if I've got any s- specifics on that. I, I do think, and Hutt, you're probably planning on getting to this later, but it, here's a good uh, entree into it. The, the defense is talking, and we can circle back to this, talking so much, Chad, about swagger 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 I, I i think it's a good thing that they're talking about and they want to have it but I, I think to a degree it's kind of a little bit like false bravado like how much swagger do i want you to have before you show me you can go out and stop somebody on third down yes after exactly. last year's after last year's disaster so I, I i don't i mean i like that they're hyped and bouncing around and cheering guys making plays and stuff but I don't need you to be flexing and, and telling me what a great defense you are after you give up 50.9% or whatever it was on third down last year before I see you stop somebody on third down um, or, or with 19 sacks before I see you, you know, get that number you know, up. Well, I, mean, I like the, I like the chatter. I, I want a defense that's going to talk a little bit and have some confidence, but I'm with you. Like at, at some point it's almost like they're talking themselves up into the moment when they actually get a chance to prove it in week one, that I mean, we we won't know until then. We didn't know about how bad and terrible this defense was last year at this time, to be honest. So uh, it, it's hard to tell. What what you can tell though are the new additions, Paul, and how that's factoring into some of the swagger and confidence. Where, where is Jackrabbit Jenkins in the mix for what you're describing? Is he a big focus point for bringing that swagger to the group? Yeah, he's getting there. Uh, he's, he's certainly uh, look. Vrabel said energy comes from production, and Jack Rabbit Jenkins has started to, to produce. Um, so there's buzz around him, and people are looking to him for leadership with Farley, and uh, and with that group. Also, you know, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes here, and I don't think it's all just natural flow every day. Like Bayard said, and this was very interesting when he spoke a couple days ago, that um, Vrabel asked him to be quiet for a day or two. Because uh, Bayard is one of the most talkative guys out there, right? And so Vrabel wanted to see what happens when Kevin Bayard doesn't talk. Who else? How, how do other guys react? Who picks up the slack and stuff like that? I, I think that's fascinating to see what Amani Hooker does um, and to see what the rest of the defense does when maybe your loudest captainy guy steps back and creates a little bit of a void. So I don't know if they're playing any games like that or if they have during this camp at all, but I think uh, that's an interesting experiment when you're trying mm-hmm. to have guys find their niches in terms of those roles. Well, let's also look at it from this angle, too. You know, we've seen a rebuilt defense. What, six new starters uh, on, the, on the defensive side of the 11? Six or seven out of 12. Yeah, and, and big in the secondary, which was needed. I think some of the talk right now, the, the literal talk on the practice field, and again, I haven't been out there, is, is that they're almost not just rebuilding their roster on that side, they're rebuilding their confidence level. 
it was third and 14 at times last year, and I'd turn around and be like, this is a first down. This defense is going to give this play up because they just knew they were. Um, there, there was no confidence in that group, and I think you have to rebuild a bit of that swagger and mentality going into the season. So I don't, I don't hate that they're chattering a lot. I, I love that they're making big plays uh, because of how good we know this offense is. But I, I'm with you. I, I do want to see these same guys produce in these preseason games leading up to week one. And, uh, again, it's funny because that rebuilding confidence on the defense kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with a couple of the problems the Titans had last season, in particular at the end of last season, like when Corey Davis wasn't there in the second half of the Baltimore game. Well, Julio Jones isn't out there, uh, not, you know, set the, the tweaking aside, right? They're not using them in team, really, very much. Um, just that last day, yesterday, was the first time. And so as good as Marcus Johnson and Chester Rogers have been, we're not seeing Julio Jones or Josh Reynolds. And so, you know, you're building some defensive swagger against guys who are competing technically for the fourth spot. They're not defending Derrick Henry. They're defending Darrington Evans and and Hall, right? They're, yes. Taylor Taylor Lewan's not out there, and uh, and and Raiden's isn't you know necessarily operating high. They're looking at at Kendall Lamb and and a guy that we haven't talked about much, David Quesman. Um So, as good as this offense is going to be, um, it's making mistakes right now. Um, defense is usually ahead of offense and. This is not the frontline offense, really. You know, Luke Stocker's been here for two days. Jeff Swaim is out also. There's another frontline guy that's out. It's a little bit of a piecemeal offense right now. So it's good time for the defense to build confidence. It's not playing against, uh, you know, an offense that's expected to be top three, top five. It's missing a lot of pieces. Our one big Titans topic today will include the Titans offense and specifically Josh Reynolds. Uh, that's coming up. Also, details on a rookie who looked better with the pads on compared to the first week. Paul has that. The forgotten man at offensive tackle. We will discuss that. And Rashawn Evans, his thoughts on Julio Jones and the Crimson Tide connection. Julio jo Jones joining the Titans roster. More from Titans training camp live on this Tuesday edition. PK joins us from Metro Center. Outkick 360 rolls on. Kick 360 and the training camp update alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Paul Koharski joins us from Titans training camp, which has just wrapped up the first practice in pads for the Tennessee Titans of 2021. Uh, Paul, who flashed today outside of the starters? You, you mentioned one veteran addition that joined this team last week in John Simon. What have you noticed from him? Uh, he, he's made some plays. He looks like he knows what he's doing in this uh in this system for sure and i've noticed him a lot more than i've noticed wyatt ray or uh or derek roberson's out now so uh any of the other uh R rashad weaver so um you know at, at this point he looks like a good addition the question is how much you know are you willing to deal with the age and the slowness that comes with age and we know they've dealt with that at other positions willingly uh you know will Compton last mm -hmm. year so we shall see. Had an interception, I think it was yesterday, where he didn't turn his head back. Uh, it was on Ferkser, I think. Didn't turn his head back, but I think read Ferkser's eyes and hands and took the ball away very smartly. 
I think Vrabel was bitching potentially about pass interference, but I didn't see it. I, 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 you know, uh, usually if you don't turn your head back, you get in some trouble. It's very quick bang, bang kind of play from short, you know, probably from the eight yard line. So um, I think he's looked pretty good. Um, certainly given, uh, you know, we've covered time and time again, how little they have at that spot. Um, third, third edge guy. And, um, you know, without Dupree here, a um, lot of opportunity there. I haven't really noticed anybody. I've noticed John Simon a little bit. And as far as rookies go, how about Monty Rice, third-round pick? We haven't discussed him much over the first week. Normally, that's a position that can that can show up a bit with the pads popping. Yeah, and he, he laid a couple pops today. Um, I, I, I think he's the kind of guy that they were really waiting to see. Mike, Mike Vrabel pointed – to him, I, I think he started to kind of list some guys that they really wanted to see in pads yesterday when we were asking pad preview questions. And uh, I don't think he crafted much of a list, but Monty Rice was one name that came out of his mouth. And uh, he popped a couple today. He's, you know, very clearly, as you would expect, um, be uh, right there after uh, Evans and um and the Brown. So we, probably with Long, uh, those are the, the next two inside linebackers. Who's the forgotten offensive tackle right now in the mix? David Quesenberry. We've talked time and time again about what could hold Dylan Radins back at, at uh, offensive tackle. And we've talked about Kendall Lamb could be the opening opening day starter. We kind of set Ty Sambrilo aside because uh, we, we figured Ty Sambrilo would be working his way back. And he came off. Uh, the injured list on Monday, yesterday, along with uh, with uh, McNichols and along with Caleb Farley. Caleb Farley being the headliner there. Sam Brylo will certainly be worked back, uh, you know, at a, at a pace like all these other guys. But Quessenberry, you know, played pretty effectively down the stretch as the Titans' third offensive tackle last year. Now, he got shredded while the Titans got shredded against Baltimore. But he played, you know, and he needed help. I'm not saying he was uh, starting caliber left tackle for the Titans last year, but they obviously like how he played the situation, given the situation that he was put in. And I think collectively we've made a mistake to not mention him when we're talking about what's going on at tackle. Um, so left tackle and right tackle reps are available right now with Taylor Lewan not playing in team. And Quisenberry's in that mix. Um so we, we should we should list him. So, uh, Paul, Shane Bowen said that Jim Schwartz has been a, a great sounding board and a great resource so far in camp. <laughs> yeah, what, what's, what's your observation been like of Jim Schwartz in terms of his involvement in practice? Yeah, on the side, very observational. Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, I, it's not like I keep a close eye on him, Chad, because I'm watching something else, right? But he, uh, I don't know what to do with that hat there. But he is, um, looks like a guy who's a, you know, special counselor to the defensive coordinator. If, if you ask me to drop in as a guy who's watched a lot of football practices and say, what does that guy do? I'd say he's, uh, he's kind of a sounding board guy. And, uh, I, 
I know you're desperate for those roles to be flipped, and you'd love to hear that. Uh, you'd love to see Jim Schwartz up there saying, Shane Bowen's a nice guy for me to go to uh, for <laughs> some extra information once in a while, but uh, those roles are not what you wish they were. Well, you know, and also optics matter. Schwartz is doing his talking inside, right? Like yes. He knows everyone's watching him out there. Vrabel knows everyone's watching Schwartz to see his mannerisms and how much input he's giving to Bowen. It matters that he doesn't vocalize those things in the public eye, in the media eye. He's doing that behind the scenes. Yeah, he's doing little enough that our eyes uh, are averted to something else. I mean, you check in on Schwartz, you see that he's not really doing anything, um, and and you look back to find the ball. Or during the open period where you can shoot shoot pictures or shoot video, He's not really doing anything with hands-on, and, and you only have limited time, so you've got to get shots of, that are more active. So um, that, you're right. Uh, I mean, his impact is more inside, or, you know, they're out here a second time a day a lot of times that's not open to us, that's more uh, mm, at a walk-through yes. speed, um, and he may be, you know, positioning bodies or having conversations with individuals or units during that. So we had a, we had a caller early on in, in the decade-long trio that is this show. Uh, and I, did he call in as the mythical creature Cthulhu, or was it part of the joke? I can't remember. But uh, in, in, es, in essence, Rashawn Evans compared Julio Jones to Cthulhu in a way, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Uh, he's an <laughs> Alabama guy through and through, Rashawn Evans. And he said... That at Alabama, Julio Jones was like a mythical creature. Like it sounded like, you know, they held in high regard for uh, an outstanding career and for what he was doing in Atlanta. But that when he was around, it was kind of like, you know, ooh, Julio Jones is here, you know, but not like omnipresent or entirely visible, kind of a mystical quality to him. Uh, I would think from Rashawn Evans' perspective or from guys that were at Bama in that time frame, and Derrick Henry wasn't far off that, right? That, that's pretty cool to have that guy in your locker room all of a sudden, a revered uh, – and there are guys like that all around the league, right? But Bama makes it extra special. The Saban connection makes it extra special. And then you've got, you know, Julio Jones' persona, which is pretty reserved and in the background guy, not, not an out-front guy even – even at homecoming in Alabama. So uh, I think those guys are pretty jacked to have them on the team and, uh, and like Titans fans all around, hoping that uh, that little tweak is, doesn't amount to much and, and that Chad's worry, which yep. uh, you know is in line with Titans fans all, all around, proves ultimately unwarranted. It reminds me almost of the, the first season of True Detective with the Yellow King. I feel like Cthulhu and the Yellow King sort of coincided with our previous show's history. But that's uh, sort of the mythology around Julio Jones. Uh, if only that show hadn't been living up to expectation. by that terrible ending where they sit and look up at the stars and talk about <laughs> the mystical and mysticism. It fit right in for you at the hatch. Paul hated a show that uh, – he loved a show that was about mysticism in a mystery the entire season and then hated it when the show ended on mystery and mysticism, which was consistent with the entire show. The ending was terrible, but I will say at least I got to see it, unlike you, who was counting on Clay Travis, who butchered the, the oh, yes. DVRing of it. 
That I, I got that to night. see it, but I got to see it at home uh, by myself <laughs> after the watch party. <laughs> we had a nice dinner party. Uh, it was supposed to be a watch party that turned into just a dinner party uh, because, because Clay butchered the recording, and then I got home and watched it. It's great. Um, every day after we get the, the Titans report from PK, uh, we'll try to go into one big Titans topic. Today, let's discuss Josh Reynolds. But, but from this angle, Paul, I know you, you did a show last week for fantasy football and sports betting where you're trying to predict um, where the offense will be, right? They're, they're wanting numbers on A.J. Brown. I, uh, on, on Sunday Night Sports Central for News Channel 5, they asked me my, my prediction for where A.J. Brown will be with Julio Jones. There's a lot of unknowns with this. But, you know, I, I think for comparison's sake, the Titans were 16 yards away last season from having two 1,000-yard receivers if Corey Davis stepped up and made some big plays over the final three weeks where he really dropped off. My point there is I do think A.J. can get the three-peat with 1,000 yards receiving, and we know he'll become just the seventh wide receiver since 1970 to start a career with three straight seasons of 1,000-plus. That being said, how much does Josh Reynolds factor in to the overall offense? Because the one uncertainty that is that makes it extremely hard to predict is – Historically speaking, we have never seen an offense like this Titans group where they have the top running back in the NFL, a 2,000-yard rusher at that, paired with two elite top wide receivers on any offense. We, we have never seen that, and that now is coupled with a third wideout in Josh Reynolds who is predictably more healthy than what Adam Humphreys provided in the third wideout role a year ago. So in trying to really dive in and say, here's how it's going to be allotted to each player, I, I think that it's, it's impossible to try to pick out a number in that regard. I think it's impossible to uh, foolhardy, and we'll leave it for other people to, to play with the numbers. Um, you know, look, I'm also presuming that Josh Reynolds gets healthy and uh, and is out here and dependable on, on a weekly basis. Um, I, I think in the end, you know, he, he should have numbers on par or better than what he did last year because the Titans are going to spread the ball around and it's going to be a game-by-game matchup. But I, I think all of these guys, Hutt, are, uh, you know, one week maybe going to have a great game and, and another week – they're not going to be great fantasy football players. I, I mean, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are going to be great fantasy football players in that, in the end, you're going to be happy to have had them on your team. But I still think, uh, you know, there's going to be a week where you're going to be cursing A.J. Brown or Julio Jones for having three catches and 40 yards and maybe not sniffing the end zone. Uh, just because the matchup doesn't go that way. The other guy has a big week, or Derrick Henry does most of the offense, and, and it's Ferkser who gets the, the one passing touchdown or something like that. It's just not a team that's crafted to really distribute you know, this, this, and this, and it's going to go that way virtually every week. I just don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to run that way very often. I'd dissuade people from, uh, you know, who want week-to-week consistency from looking, looking to them. And Josh Reynolds is a, a bit of a mystery right now because we haven't seen him operate at full speed, really. And we don't know much about what's going on. And when I say we don't know much, I mean we don't know anything. Yeah, and, he, you know, he's more of a piece now than he is a big addition. At least that's how I view it because of the, the, the signing and trade for, for Julio. 
Uh, but the question is, how big of a piece to the overall offensive pie is Reynolds when healthy? Because he was really good at moving the chains out west. Like, that, that's where he really impacted their offense. Of his 52 catches, 31 went for first downs. It's a very small number to, to try to dive into on third down. He only had 14 catches on third down, but 11 of those 14 catches went for first down. So he's a chain mover. That's impactful to an offense, and that's impactful to a scoreboard. And, and while I agree it's going to be hard to predict week to week how this offense goes, I also don't know how to compare them to other offenses. Are they more like Kansas City? Kansas City, for instance, they have a big two, and then they have role players and, and really three pieces behind their top two receiving options that last year all had 420 yards or more. Is Reynolds going to fall into that category as an extra guy that's a role player that opens it up for the top two? Or is it more like Carolina? Carolina is the other example to point to where the Panthers had a big three. They didn't have a big two. They had a big three. They had two 1,000-yard receivers. They had D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson. And then they also had Curtis Samuel, who had 77 catches for 851 yards. That's a big jump for Josh Reynolds, who had 52 catches last year. So I, I think if you can figure out where Reynolds is in this offense, you have a good idea of distribution within the overall flow and rhythm of this offense. Because... Is he a part of the top three, or is he a part of the group that's after the top two? Yeah, that's a very good question. Is it two and then, or is it three and then? I think some of that, too, depends on how sustainable Marcus Johnson, Chester Rogers, and I would put those two now in a tier of their own, and then Nick Westbrook-Akina and Des Fitzpatrick, I think I'd put in a tier of their own, and then I'd put Racy McMath. Um, so it depends on the sustainability of those guys as well. Depends on injuries. And I know it's a totally different thing, but I'm compelled to mention the Yankees here. You know, you have Aaron Judge and you add Giancarlo Stanton and you think, what could possibly go wrong? You got two huge boppers, you know, and it didn't, didn't work out great in part because of injuries. And then you say, hey, how do we fix that? Oh, we go get Joey Gallo, another, another huge productive guy, you know. It, it, it's apples to oranges, I know, but uh, sometimes just stacking great on great doesn't turn out to be uh, the answer. I, I think we all expect it will be here, uh, certainly with the two guys. Reynolds, uh, you know, it's not of the same caliber, um, but they, they spent on him expecting him to be a top three contributor for sure. And uh, it's a long way off, like I said, 41, 43 days, something like that. But he's given a lot of time to a lot of guys to make good impressions. Paul, we saw the debut today of Sam Ficken. I know he was out there yesterday, but the kickers had a day off. Um, what did you notice from the new kicker and overall the kicking game? Perfect day. Uh, they kicked from, uh, I can't remember, 30... 30 to 50, uh, maybe six kicks each and hit every one of them. Nothing really in question. Um, and today, everything's great in Wonderland uh, in terms of, of hitting field goals. So for a day, not a question. Um, and maybe um, the presence of Ficken brought out the best in uh, Mr. McCann. So we shall see where it goes from here. 
And we should mention the, the news in the division today, also the news in the division yesterday. Wentz out with Crazy. surgery on his foot yesterday. Um, we, we learned that. He's out 5 to 12 weeks. You can laugh all you want about the timetable. The Titans play the Colts in week 3. Also, the Colts announcing today, Quentin Nelson is going to miss time due to foot surgery, similar to that of Carson Wentz. He's now Copy out. Th those are massive losses for a team that you know, won 11 games and made the postseason last year. Uh, they're now struggling to find remedies to big starters. And, and Nelson is right up there with the top guards in the NFL. Titans once lost to Curtis Painter, right? So a Titans fan shouldn't chalk up wins against the Colts. But it's certainly a bad time for the Colts right now and something you wouldn't want your team to be suffering. So uh, bad news. Uh, you know, your best player and your quarterback down. And that's an awfully big timetable. If they're both pushing the far end of that, you're talking about half of a season. And uh, I know that I think they start with two NFC teams, but then I think with the Titans there, they've got the Ravens and the Dolphins playoff contending teams. Um, it's going to be a tough go. Yeah, they open the season against Seattle. Uh, they then have the Rams. They play the Titans, and then Paul's right. Then, then they continue that slug through the, the AFC where they face the Dolphins, the Ravens, and the Texans uh, before they get to the end of October. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a tough stretch. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Tough, tough stretch whenever you consider what they're lacking up front now in the offensive line and the remedy that they're trying to figure out at, at quarterback, whether that guy's currently on the roster or not. Uh, Josh Heupel getting to work with his team on the practice field for fall camp for the first time tomorrow. Players reported today their first practice will be tomorrow morning. Heupel spoke to the media today. We'll discuss what Tennessee's head coach had to say next on OutKick 360. It's time to win OutKick 360's daily parlay. FanDuel.com slash OK360. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Parlay is to me and we're going in for a $5 winner tonight. $5 bet is going to win you $42.10. Here's my thinking. I'm taking the Braves money line. Uh, you've got uh, Max Freed, who has been good as of late, Chad. You can confirm He's good. this. He's the good. Braves have not lost two in a row since June. Load up on the Braves money line. Colorado. Uh, Colorado money line. Chicago traded away their whole team. Colorado is strong at home. Take the Rockies at home. And take the Dodgers' money line against the Houston Astros. The Dodgers behind Walker. They've only lost once this season. Take the money line. They're favored for a reason. And then the Australian women. They beat the U.S. women in the exhibition head-to-head. -head. They're getting 15.5 points. I think that is a close game at the Olympics. U.S. women haven't been dominant. Australia, they have WNBA talent on their roster. I'm taking Australia to cover but I'm taking the U.S. women to win. It's a winner, Hutton. I feel good about it. Felt good about my parlay last night, um, but there was a show tie-in with Paul's Yankees not doing their part against oh. Hutton's Orioles and the Orioles winning. And then we were one basket away from Spain covering 12-and-a-half. A late, I think, two free throws made it a 14-point win by the U.S., but it was that close to having a Spain cover against U.S. basketball. We will win tonight, though. I'm confident. 360 Parlay. You can follow along with us, fanduel.com slash OK360. Josh Heupel and the Tennessee Volunteers opening practice today. The players reporting today. Practice tomorrow morning. That's the same across the entire Southeastern Conference. 
as we gear up for football season across the SEC. Uh, Heupel speaking with the media. What were some of the takeaways today, Chad? Yeah, uh, the biggest takeaway really came from Alex Golish, the offensive coordinator, talking about the quarterback race, which is what every Tennessee fan wants to know about, who's going to start at quarterback, said there is a serious sense of urgency for him because he wants to trim the quarterback race from four to two in a week and a half. So that's one thing to keep in mind. It's going to be a fast-track process to get to two. He also said that he wants to have his quarterback decision made a week out from the first game. I like this because I hate the, it's a completely open competition. It's going to be equal reps throughout camp. No. It doesn't serve anyone. You know deep down. You're going to know quickly. You're going to get it down to two. And then you can't distribute reps, especially at quarterback, evenly when you only have so much time to practice across four quarterbacks. So I'm glad that both Josh Heupel and Alex Golish acknowledged we need to get this thing down to two quickly within a week and a half and then decide on a quarterback. Golish was asked about you know, deciding on one quarterback for the season, and he said, well, offensively our philosophy is pick the best 11 players and start them every week. That typically includes having one quarterback that goes throughout, but you can be successful you know, having two quarterbacks at times, but clearly the goal is to get one quarterback, settle in on them. Joe Milton, the transfer from Michigan, he spoke with the media today. He was asked what he likes best about this offense. He said throwing it deep because he likes throwing the ball far more than anything else, and they do that a lot in this offense. Um, a couple of takeaways from Josh Heupel. Uh, he was talking about the double-edged sword again of the transfer portal. Yes, Tennessee lost a lot of talent on, on, uh, in the transfer portal, but mentioned specifically some of the players coming in that a couple of them, maybe three, may start on defense, but pretty much all of the transfers are in the two deep right now for Tennessee. So something Brent Hubbs talked about with us from VolQuest.com. Um, those are really the biggest takeaways. Uh, a lot of talk about Jabari Small, uh, the, the, the running back from Memphis. A lot of praise for him and his maturity. Um, but uh, I think Alex Golish said he hasn't faced adversity yet. You know, we really don't know anything about him until he starts playing in games. So they like what they've seen so far, but th- there's going to be a, a steep uphill climb for him because that's the number one thing they want to see from these guys. Golish even said about Joe Milton, look, the guy looks amazing. He's the biggest quarterback I've ever worked with. He's the strongest I've worked with. But I want to see how he responds to adversity in practice and in games when they get out there. So a lot of quarterback talk today with Josh Heupel and offensive coordinator Alex Golish. Chad, in thinking about the upcoming season, I know as little about this Tennessee team as I've known about any Tennessee team. And it's not because I don't care about them. I just don't know them. I don't know the head coach that well like, I, like we would in the past. Uh, you don't know the athletic director very well in the program. And there's been so much player turnover. I can't even tell you who's there and who's not as they start camp. I, I feel like a lot of media members might feel the same way in that regard because we have not seen or heard from them due to access and other things going on throughout the offseason and, and protocols in place and, and the way things were handled last year and everything being virtual. I don't, I don't know this team. I can't, and I can't wait to learn them and, and figure them out, including Heupel and all this, and, and the assistant coaches for that matter. Well, and Golish, speaking of assistant coaches, yeah. offensive coordinator, he was asked to sum up his offense. And I think Tennessee fans will like this but because of uh, the Butch Jones pushback. But he said, I'm not a slogan guy at all. But he said the one word we say over and over again is attack. And he said, we want to be the one attacking in the fourth quarter. 
that we want to attack throughout the game and we want to still be the one that's on the attack in the fourth quarter offensively. And I think Tim Banks on defense said some of the same things. Here's what's strange about it, Hutton. I agree with you. I know very little about this Tennessee team. I feel like I don't know a lot going into camp. But the biggest departure is offensively. From what Jim Chaney was trying to do to now to what Josh Heupel wants to do. But yet I feel like I know a lot more about Tennessee's offense, even though it's a completely different offense and a completely different quarterback, than I know even on defense. Because they were hit so hard on defense with transfers. Because of all those guys connected to Jeremy Pruitt, I know nothing about this Tennessee defense. What it's going to look like, what Tim Banks ultimately wants to do, what the, the roster is going to look like defensively. Offensively, Cade Mays is going to be good on the offensive line. They've got some nice pieces returning across the offensive line. Jalen Hyatt is going to be a good player. Valus Jones Jr. is going to be a good player. I think Jabari Small is going to be just fine at running back. There are some skill position guys that you come into the season feeling pretty optimistic about. If Valus Jones Jr. didn't have the close to the season he had last year, where he really came on and I think capped it off with a great game against Vanderbilt in the season finale, I wouldn't know as much about this group. But I think with what Josh Heupel wants to do and what we've seen him do at, at Oklahoma, at Missouri, and Central Florida, it still feels like we know quite a bit about what Tennessee's going to try to accomplish and what the offense is going to look like. We saw some of that in the spring game, Hutton, when we were in Knoxville. Yep, yep. We know what they're going to do offensively. I have no idea on defense. I have no idea who's going to step up and be a star. I feel like Alante Taylor is sort of a given at corner. But outside of that, who knows? Uh, Lane Kiffin had the funny response. He was asked about his defense and what he's looking for. And he said, I think it'd be really cool if we got a couple teams to punt a few times. <laughs> that, that would be very exciting to watch. I sort of feel the same way that Lane Kiffin does about this defense. I'm going to be very excited when Tennessee plays good offenses uh, to see the punter run on the field. That's going to be actually an exciting play for Tennessee's defense because outside of that, I have zero expectations on defense. Uh, Where I think you had a lot of expectations with Jeremy Pruitt's defenses, right? That's the one side you could go and say, well, you know the defense should improve based on his track record. With Heupel, I'm going into it saying, well, the offense is going to be a lot better and a lot more fun to watch because of Heupel's track record. Uh, bad news, as LSU even starts camp, uh, Miles Brennan out. Bad bad arm injury. Uh, Broke his left arm. Yeah, according to, to Coach O. So it's going to be Max Johnson. He's a sophomore there who played some last year and, and won a couple games for them. Um, he, he helped them in their upset over Florida. He also helped them in a win over Ole Miss, which I think avoided a losing season. Uh, he's a sophomore now. Max Johnson steps in. Miles Brennan out with uh, the the arm injury. And, of course, he had the shoulder injury last year. Just terrible news for the LSU quarterback. Uh, Show 100 in the books. Thanks to everybody for making it happen for the first 100. Here's to the next 100 with some big announcements later this week. And here's what we hope you'll do in the meantime. We've surpassed 2,000 subscribers to the new OutKick 360 channel. We started 100 days ago on the OutKick YouTube channel. Launch the own OutKick360 YouTube channel, which many of you have gone to subscribe to. We hope you'll go subscribe, that you'll hit the alert button, and then you're automatically entered to win the Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack. It's over a $2,500 value, the full car stereo system from Sony and Hertz Audison. All you do, subscribe to the OutKick360 YouTube channel and ring that bell. Hit the alert button so that you know we go live each and every day at noon Eastern 
11 a.m. Central, and then you're also alerted to any new content we post in the afternoons and on the weekends. It's all for subscribing. We will draw a winner later this month. We are back at it tomorrow for OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.